And I understood that in that moment, if your mother can leave you, anyone can leave you. And I, I, re I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if she, your birth mother, your mother can leave you, well then who's going to be there? And I can't do life alone. So who can I count on and when can I count on them? And how can I ensure that someone will be there when I need them? Welcome to another Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen, and this show is dedicated to honoring the strength and resilience of women. Over the past 20 years, I've held hundreds of sister circles and hosted some beautiful medicine retreats where I've been so humbled to hear the stories from women of how they've overcome hard life situations. Women are so resilient and so, so brave and we develop courage and determination we never knew we had when we find ourselves in critical times and we pull through no matter what's going on. Now this show is about meeting the women who have done that. We'll be hearing their most personal stories to reveal how they got through, what they did exactly, where their strength came from in order to inspire you. It's so deeply important to honor these life moments, the girls we used to be, the women we are now, and the women we are yet to become. And I am so pleased today to be able to introduce to you Jason Seibert. Now, I met Jason at a dinner. I met this beautiful man out here in Bali called Phoenix, and he said, I've got this great group of women, and you should all meet each other. So off I went to dinner with Phoenix, and I knew there were going to be some great women there. He's a great connector out here in Bali. And sat two women away from me was Jason. And we got talking and talking, and she came to some of my ceremonies, and then she kept coming back to some of my ceremonies. And Jason, you just keep coming back to my cacao ceremonies, right? <laughs> I do. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you for having me. And it's an honor to be on the show. Now tell us something about you because I know you have a story and we touched on it very briefly. So when you speak about it, I'm going to be hearing this for the first time, which I always like. I think it's really important. Tell us what you want to talk about and focus on for this podcast today. Thank you. Um, I think one of the best things that I could share that would be most relevant to many women is how I came into understanding how my life was quite full of codependent habits and codependent behaviors. And I was completely unaware of all of it. And by a series of events that had happened in my life, I came into this awareness. And once that awareness was in my field, it was very difficult for me to see things the same after that. Mm -hmm. And I think today there's a deep relevancy to understanding what that means for many people. Talk to us about what codependency was for you. Um, when people hear the word codependence, it's becoming more and more of an awakening for the people that I mix with. But I think a lot of people might see it as a, a dependence on alcohol or a dependence on something. So talk to us about that codependence because I think you mean something different. Absolutely. So traditionally, codependency, uh, as it relates to like a book definition, is dependency on a substance, but it also can be a, a, an imbalanced emotional connection in a relationship that could mm -hmm. be with somebody with a habit, a dependency, or it could be um, 
also this identity issue where it's an over-attachment and over-caring. So in my situation, my habits were actually around how my behavior as it related to me over-attaching and over-identifying to different people, different families, different situations, different jobs or roles as a way of seeking love and validation. And it was the cycle that I found myself in again and again and again, but I was completely unaware of it until about a year ago. So how did that play out in life? Like what were you doing or what situations did you find yourself in? Over the course of my life, I tended to be the friend who would always show up, would always be there, would do whatever it took to make sure that you were cared for and held and all the things that I needed. In my work life, I would completely dive in, be a little chameleon and just move right into the whatever it took to make me be accepted, be successful, um, which, you know, I masked that for many years as this is what it takes to be a positive leader. This is what yeah. it takes to be a successful businesswoman. This is what it takes to be a good friend. And I would mask these behaviors as something as acceptable. But what I realized was that these were very draining activities. These were very draining behaviors. And they were taking a toll on my greater life. And I was showing up exhausted all the time. And I just thought, well, isn't this what you do? But it really wasn't. Two years ago... I'd lost my mother. My mother had passed. And then within the next six months, I had eight additional major losses in my life. And they were of that caliber. They were not small losses. They were big losses. And one of those losses was a woman, um, a young woman who had cervical cancer and her child was only 15 months. I was the care provider for this little boy. And she ended up passing when he was just about two. And the partner uh, her partner, who is a wonderful father and a wonderful provider and all the things, was a, he was an alcoholic. And I was oblivious to this because I didn't really know his tendencies outside of that one dynamic. So once she passed, that came to light. And what I realized was that I was in a another situation where there was this give and take relationship of me caring for this little boy and supporting this father as he was making his own grief transition as well, mm. and also battling with alcoholism. So mm. last fall, I was in, in, we have voting in the US, and I was in voting, and I came home to my cell phone, and my cell phone had six missed calls, and they were all from this little boy's family. And naturally, you can imagine my heart hit the floor because I thought, oh my God, something really bad must have just happened. And I called his father and he answered and he was in jail. He had left the baby oh, no. in the car while he went into a bar and someone saw the baby in the car and obviously called it in naturally. Of course you'd do that. Oh. Welfare of a child. So the little boy had been given to some friends uh, who happened to come pick him up and completely traumatized. He had peed through all his clothes. He'd peed through everything. He was just screaming. He wouldn't eat. He was, he was completely traumatized to see this whole event happen and then to be taken away. And, you know, luckily they gave him to some friends that were there and allowed for the little guy to go with friends. But when I got home and I received this message, I thought, oh my God, what happened? So he told me, hey, I'm in jail. Can you go get the baby? And of course, my natural response was yes, 
I can't get there fast enough because of course I've been caring for this child for a long time. Mm-hmm. And obviously he knows me better than anyone outside of his father for that reason. Cause okay. his mother had no past. So anyway, I, I go and I get this child. We have this whole conversation. Fast forward to the next day, his sister's husband had asked me, he said, you know, I'm not clear why they called you. And I'm, thought, well, isn't that like the natural response? I'm this child's caretaker. Isn't that the natural thing to do? And he's like, it's not your responsibility. And I'm unclear why they kept calling you. They should have taken care of it. We should have someone in the house, someone in the family should have taken this little boy. Why would they interrupt your life to do that? And in the moment, Lynette, in the moment, I was so confused as to why that question was even posed. And suddenly the aha moment hit me and I realized, oh my gosh, I see what you see. It's because I allow it. I allow for someone to call me and disrupt my evening and put their problem on me and I take it. That's why that happens. So that aha moment hit me like a ton of bricks. And suddenly I realized that I had much more than this one scenario to deal with. So I began reflecting over my entire life. And I started looking at all of my friendships, my work dynamics, all of these things in my life, personal relationships, love relationships, everything. And I really started to see this huge pattern. And I started to see how I was showing up again and again as a way of feeling love and validation and almost banking time. So if let's say I have a relationship with a friend, in order to ensure that that friend would show up for me, I would make sure I showed up for the friend five, six times, seven, eight times. Okay. So what you're talking about is being the person that is constantly available, constantly there at the drop of a hat, overworking, putting so much effort and energy and time into a friendship to the extreme at your own life and exhaustion. Very much. And it would, it would cost me so much more than I was realizing because it wasn't just exhaustion. It was actually me deprioritizing everything in my life to prioritize my need for someone to make me feel safe in that way. So in order for you to feel safe, uh, you had to invest, overly invest in those friendships and relationships to to a damaging point to you in order for you to feel like they would be there for you? I really did. Yes. And I, you know, after, after this event happened and I started to reflect on everything and I actually took the time to look at this deeply, I realized, you know, it always goes back to childhood. I realized the triggering event and I understood it was an event with my mother. And I understood that in that moment, if your mother can leave you, anyone can leave you. And I, right. I, re- I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if she, your birth mother, your mother can leave you, well, then who's going to be there? And I can't do life alone. So who can I count on and when can I count on them? And how can I ensure that someone will be there when I need them? Mm-hmm. So I began creating these ways of living and enabling whether, you know, my past my, the last significant relationship in my life was 10 years. He was an alcoholic. It was my insecurity or, or non-understanding of what proper boundaries were and where enablement was coming in and where I was over-attaching, over-identifying, over-caring, whatever I was doing in some capacity. That variety was showing up everywhere in my life. And I really thought 
immediately, as soon as this came to light, I had to change everything, every way I interacted, every way I was behaving, all my relationship dynamics. I really had to look at them. So that's a massive thing to to suddenly get a bit of an awakening at somebody's comment like, well, I don't really understand why they're calling you and interrupting your life and some kind of penny drops for you. Then to, to go from that and say, oh my God, this is a pattern I'm experiencing in every part of my life. I have to deal with all of this. How did you feel at that time? Because like looking back, we can say, well, you know, that's what happened and I felt like the penny dropped but that must have been huge. Oh it's a God. life pattern. Huge. It was huge. And the awareness, you know, I speak of the awareness today, but it took months to come into the total awareness of what the root was. So it took me a long time, quite frankly, to even put the pieces together. In the moment when the penny dropped and I received the aha click and realized mm. what was happening and and the fact that I was allowing for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. I felt this immediate need. And at that time I was living in California. I wasn't living in Bali at the time. I knew that if I was going to be successful in that transition and I was going to be successful in what I needed to do, I knew I had to completely change everything. And that included where I lived. And I had to change it so much that I had to go as far away as I could so that it would be a forcing function for everyone outside of myself to also change their habits and how they engaged with me. And that's when I said, how far do I need to go? So I chose Bali very intentionally because at that time it was 15 hours ahead, which 15 hours ahead of the West Coast in the U.S. is a nice forcing function to create space between me and anyone who wanted to get in touch with me. It would give me the the like buffer I needed in order to kind of transition. You know, Jason, that's like the most extreme thing I think I've ever heard. Massive. It is the most extreme. And I will be completely honest. People were like, have you lost your mind? And I was like, well, I think I'd lose my mind more if I stayed because I was already in the awareness. So truly, I came into this awareness on November 3rd, and by November 11th, 11-11 of last year, I had packed up my entire house. No way. I'm not even kidding. I already had the plane ticket. I stayed no. for Thanksgiving, and I flew to Bali. It was that fast. Do you know what? I believe, I believe in astrology, and I don't know anything about astrology, but I have um, my soul sister is an astrologist. And she has told me so much about my birth chart and so much about, um, you know, the life patterns that I've had and where massive decisions have been made very quickly that she was like, well, you know, your Pluto was in your whatever. (laughs) I'm like, it was? (laughs) Is that really true? And it's almost like, I know you have a bit of an interest in astrology as well. I I don't know too much about how much you know about that because I know nothing really, but do you think that like some kind of planet just kind of swooped in and <laughs> took over <laughs> your direction at that point? Well, it very well could have. And what was interesting is that leading up to that that moment, the month and a half before that, I had this very intense love affair happening. And it was something that opened my psychic abilities in a way that they had never been peaked before. Um I was receiving more messages and understandings, um, insights, all of this physical body responses. Everything was so heightened at that time. 
and it continued. That was from, you know, September to October. And it was so intense that there were some days I had to meditate for eight hours a day straight because I just couldn't take the information coming in. It was so heightened. Wow. So I have pure belief that planetary influence and just my chart and my path in life were absolutely at play last year. And I believe that that lover that came in at that time was actually part of that triggering catalyst to help me see the deeper on top of it, because those two things hand in hand brought this aha awareness. (laughs) I can see that. I can see that because I think some things are a precursor to something else bigger happening that we don't know about. And I love that because, you know, things have happened, massive things have happened in my life and they've happened very quickly all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And I think if we hadn't have done that, we wouldn't have been able to receive that, which was the big thing, just like a month later, you know? Exactly. And what was really interesting about that, the knowing, I have to speak to the knowing. As soon as it hit my awareness... I understood at the deepest level of my core that there was no way that I could ignore it or go backwards. I absolutely had to change Mm. it. And there was nothing that anyone could say or do or anything that could change my mind. I just knew that if I was going to be successful and create and stepping into this version of me that you, you know, today and the version of me that you'll know in the future, the only way that that was possible was for me to make this quick, swift, extreme decision to create space for myself in order for me to figure out what to do next. So Jason, you had this awareness from the 3rd to the 11th of November last year. You pack up your house, you buy a plane ticket to Bali, which is just about as far around the planet as you can go. I mean, I know because I'm (laughs) from Europe, so... (laughs) And my soul sister is on the same time zone that you were on, Montana time. So I get that too, because I have to think about 15 hours behind when I call her or talk to her. Yeah. So you come like as far away from America as you can. (laughs) And then what happens? Like you land in Bali and okay, you're in a different time zone and a different place, but you still have those ingrained behaviors because you don't ever leave you and you have to change you. So how... How does that story pan out from there? You land in Bali, but you're still you. I am still me. However, I was in the whole environmental change. I was automatically recreating, but but just by design, just by showing up, I was already having to recreate new patterns just by being here, Okay. just by being in the new environment. So that right away was already a plus. And I'll tell you, the first week I was here, I happened to attend my first cacao ceremony and it just happened to be outside of my door at my house where I was staying. I was staying in a homestay and it was the most heart opening thing I'd ever done. And I, by all means, it was way outside of my vulnerability comfort zone to attend and sit in circle with all these strangers and just allow for tears to flow and things, you know, things to happen. It was the most vulnerable thing I'd ever done. But my intro to that week was really me already having to recreate everything from scratch because Mm. everything was new. So it was actually helpful to still be be in that awareness, but then also understand what do you know? What do you know needs to change? And how can you do that? How can you implement that today? I used to actually do software implementation and change management 
for corporations around the world for their global social Mm -hmm. media implementation projects. And it really went back to what skills did I learn about adoption and implementation? (laughs) And it was just myself at a level that I knew I could handle and at at a way and a pace that I knew would be successful. And I knew at that point that my next step was to determine what the root or the source and the root of that decision-making process was. Why was I doing that? Why was I seeking love and validation that way? Why was I seeking security and safety and belonging in that capacity? Why was I doing that? So that was my next step. So for the next three months, that's what I had to work through and what I had to figure out. I just think that's amazing. Like, um, obviously I work with cacao a lot. So I'm super, super pleased to hear that it was cacao that was there for you when you very first landed in Bali. And She's a huge heart opener and I adore sitting with her and I adore serving her for that reason that she really does open people up and tears and all sorts of things flow and and so that makes me feel very happy on your behalf that she discovered you and and you had that experience. But how like it sounds like it's been and I'm sure it's not but it sounds like it's been quite an easy journey and transition and like well you know I just had to figure it out why I needed that and what I was missing but how does that transmute because often when we are in those massive changing times mm-hmm. we have no idea of the beauty of what's going to happen we are stuck in a hole somewhere and we are just trying to get out and trying to survive and trying to breathe and trying to understand ourselves and trying to make sense of our lives and then through tenacity and just a trust on some level that I'm doing the right thing just keep walking we find ourselves in lighter brighter areas was that the same for you or was was it like well I'm doing this and I'm just working it out and I actually find it quite easy well that is what it feels like today but at the time it wasn't. It None of it was easy. Really, really understanding how many times this had shown up was such a kick. It was such a kick to the head. And I thought, oh my gosh, my entire life felt like I had failed myself over and over and over again by not recognizing sooner that I was in this dynamic. So that realization right away already felt like a real setback. It felt as if I had failed myself again and again and again. And, you know, shame on me for not seeing it sooner. That was the narrative and dialogue I had to get out of. And I continually worked towards figuring out what that was. And I'll tell you, I was, I was actually in the jungle on a retreat and we did this powerful activity called the lion's roar. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. It's fantastic. I will highly recommend it. So you stand in front of another woman in circle, you hold your hands, you don't touch hands, but you hold your hands up to let them know that you are holding space for them directly in front of the other woman. And you make eye contact and each woman takes a turn. The first one has this opportunity to pull from her womb space up and to express her inner lion's roar to get any emotion and anything else that's maybe housed or stuffed in the womb space. So we do this activity and we give three huge lion roars and, you know, we take turns. The thing that happened to me that day was the aha moment, the realization and the connection for this entire thing happened in that lion's roar activity. As I, I'm a shallow breather. I don't breathe 
I'm I'm just learning how to breathe really now that I'm in Bali because everybody breathes here. I'm not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody's walking around and breathing all day. So <laughs> I'm like everyone else in the world. But anyway, so I'm learning how to breathe deeper, more intentionally, all this stuff. In general, I breathe very shallow, which is key to this story. As I did this lion's roar, she instructed us, the leader instructed us to envision everything we loved and care about behind us and to let it rip from our womb space up, not from the throat. So I envisioned all of the children in my life. They're not mine. I'm not a mother, but they're all of my children in a capacity. And then I imagined the little boy, the little boy, his name is Ryder. Little Ryder was sitting right next to me, just looking up at me with his big blue eyes. And I put my arms back physically to protect all those children. And I said, nothing will ever get you. That was my response. My maternal instinctual response was to put my hands back and say, nothing will ever get you. And I did this roar and Lynette, they had to wait for me all three times because I was roaring for so long with each release that they had to literally pause the circle and just wait for me to stop screaming, like giving this roar. And what happened was that when it was finished, the third one I finished and I hit the floor, I dropped and melted and I just started crying and sobbing. And I, I just screamed, why couldn't you protect me the way I protect those who are not even mine? Oh, oh my God. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, there it is. That's what I've been seeking. That is oh. the connector. And it just, I, I was a puddle on the floor, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And finally I realized, I go, oh my God, this is it. I didn't feel protected. And I was angry and furious that someone could abandon me in that capacity and not protect me, even though I was their mm-hmm. child. And I, all my life, I was trying to create that safety of being protected, that safety of being received and accepted and loved. So it ended up playing out throughout my entire life in this pattern of behavior of over-identifying, over-caring, over-committing, um, even supporting you know, people, addictions, people with addictions, me enabling them without realizing how much I was enabling them. That's a massive thing. Oh, it was incredible. And that, so that happened this last February. Truly, this is, this is how new it is. It was November of last year, the awareness hit. Mm -hmm. On November 11th, I move, I get to Bali, I spend a little time, I have some cacao, I end up in the jungle, I start roaring like a lion and bam. (laughs) (laughs) So that timeline felt rather quick. It felt rather quick, but it felt like forever because I also was trying to figure out, well, what's, what's the cause? What's the root? How can I find it? And how can I get through it? So when I found it, oi, 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 that was a big one for me. It was a really big one. And what do you do with that information from that? Like that's not small information to receive. Oh my gosh. It was so much. It was so much. As a matter of fact, that night we did have a medium on site and she channeled my mom. My mom came through actually that night to speak to me um, and to apologize, at which was wow. another, yeah, it was like thing on top of thing. It was so See, that's intense. what happens when you come to Bali. You meet people that can do that. <laughs> yeah. 
Like you can't yeah, go you anywhere else in the world and, and meet somebody who just is <laughs> happens to be there and can do that. I, and hang on, I'm just yeah. going to channel your mum and she can apologize. Yeah, you know, seriously, that's so not, that's not, not normal behavior, right? Like it's just <laughs> all happening in Bali. <laughs> And it was so fast forward, this right? Place That's phenomenal. This place is phenomenal. And it puts you in that full spin cycle on your washing machine. And then it's like, but we're going to take it up a notch. Bing. So that, that was a lot to take in. And it was a lot to receive and a lot to understand. And I had to process it. And here is where yeah. I think your question earlier is really applicable. It's safe, quote unquote, for me to be 15 hours ahead of everyone. That's a safe distance for me to live in my own bubble. But how does that actually yes. work when I go back? So in February, when I got done with this um, you know, retreat in the jungle, I had to come yeah. back and then get ready to go back to the US because I was holding a retreat in Sedona, Arizona. I was in okay. full-on panic and I was sick for a week leading up to it because I thought, can I handle it? Can I go back? Can I do this? Can I be as mindful as I have been for the past three months, or am I going to falter and fall back into old pattern without knowing it or even knowing it? Yeah, yeah. I was very afraid. And I ended up going back. I spent the summer uh, in very triggering scenarios. I went deep. I went right into the things that would trigger me into it and was like, let's see what happens. <laughs> was that because you didn't have any choice because that was where you lived or you came from or you were going back to your house and your same situation? Or was that an actual choice? Like I am going to put myself in this situation and see how I roll. Well, the first one, the choice of where my living in, in California, where my stuff was, that one I did, I treaded lightly on that one. And that one was because I had to, I had to go back and that's where my stuff was. That's where my life is. However, the one where I went, chose to go deep was fly. I took a road trip to uh, Wisconsin where my family is. That's where I grew up. And that's where my entire family is. And I went right into the fire of the family and was like, let's see how this goes. <laughs> and I stayed there for two months. That's, that's brave. Oh, it was, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, to be honest with you, now I look back and I think, what in the world? And that there were a couple of weeks where I got stuck there and my grandma had actually backed into my car and damaged my car and it needed to be in the body shop. So I was there an additional three weeks and I was kind of stuck mm. during that time. And it happened mm -hmm. to be that things were getting sticky. I was going to do the fight or flight and just fly and get out because that's what I do and well. You couldn't. But I couldn't. I had to sit in it. And I was like, well, isn't More this universal sources, forces, <laughs> forcing functions? <Yeah. laughs> it's like it's a cosmic joke, right? That it's like uh, the, the when you want to fight or flight and you just want to leave and then you can't. And I couldn't. I couldn't. And this is where now back to the astrology piece. This is where last year was, you know, 2019 was really full of those energies where things that were needing to be brought to surface and healed and moved out of my life because they weren't applicable. That was happening across the board all last year. And things were getting very uncomfortable between April and July. And then again in July mm -hmm. and again in October, it was, uh, if I guess the best way to describe it is level one, level two, level three, level four. Level one is the awareness in April and level two is kind of all summer long while the stripping and the cleaning and the forcing is happening of cleaning up these things that just don't serve us anymore, shedding of the old. And I had to sit 
in that because I knew, I'm sure at some point in my life, I wouldn't have done it without a forcing function. So what do you know? <laughs> Grandma hit the old car and forcing function. <laughs> Poor thing so This is so interesting because, you know, on some level it must have been so easy just to go, do you know what, this is just too hard. I'm just not going to do any of this. I'm just going to be in my comfort zone and I'm just going to do what I feel is right. But it sounds like you were challenging yourself all the time. You know, what kind of behavior is this or what response am I making right now? It sounds like almost moment by moment you were picking apart, geez, how am I going to respond to this one? How would I have responded? How would I respond now? Is, is, is that what you were doing, that level of picking apart? There really was a level to that. Uh, some of it I didn't realize how much I had been participating in that until a little bit later. But especially with the relationship between me and my dad, I was just getting, you know, we're just kind of getting to know each other as adults in this, this last year. And it really took me some pausing and some patience and some analysis to say, how am I responding to him? What am I doing? What's triggering me and why? And how does this play into a a larger picture because he too is an alcoholic. So there's just layer upon layer upon layer of connection. And here I am sitting in this beautiful place of peace and quiet, you know, peace like outside quiet, um, trying to create inner peace by helping myself understand what's going on in my life so that I can come into my newness with confidence Mm -hmm. and ease how do I do that? Right. So I think addressing all of these harder, I could avoid it or I could just go at it. And I was like, well, now's the time. Let's do it. Do you have a vision of what, and and I don't know how far along this journey you feel you are now, but do you have a vision of how you are in more balance without the need to just be there for everybody at the drop of a hat. Do you feel you have an image of yourself in balance? I do. And this is actually a hot topic because I have to go, my visa's up in January. So I have this, I'm facing the yeah. same thing again. I'm, I'm looking at that again. And the conversation that I just had with myself regarding this was, how do you show up now? And I had a couple test test opportunities. I had two people who are very dear friends, come visit me here in Bali. And that was kind of the test run to see how I was and how I would engage with people that knew me very well and knew the older version of me, because I am a much different version today. And it was almost like a testing thing. And it was triggering. It was triggering for me. What do you notice? And did they notice a difference in you? They definitely noticed a difference in me. I noticed a difference in me, and here's how I can def. Uh, here's how I can identify ways in which I'm different. I will pause instead of me being the pleaser role. I will just a step back and say they'll figure it out. Versus before, I'd say let me figure that out for you. Let me solve your problem. Let me help you. Mm-hmm. Let me guide you. And instead, I just step now, I recognize that that's the thing that would come out of my mouth. And even if the urge is there, I step back mm-hmm. and say, they'll figure it out. This is their journey. They'll figure it out. That would be one way. The other thing is that I am less likely to deprioritize my needs. I say no 
Okay. Way more often than I ever did before. The key to life, no is delicious. And I had never exercised the deliciousness of saying no. And now uh-huh. I do. Now I understand that there's a sacredness to protecting your time, your energy, your space. And even I say no to hugs because I don't necessarily want to hug people. Whereas before I just would have hugged them because they wanted to hug me. Now I will actually say, no, thanks. (laughs) Wow, that's so amazing. The power of no. So no, and then not stepping into something that's just not mine to step into. Not my responsibility. Those are huge. You see, several things resonate with me there. So um, I have a real uh, trust in my higher self and Mm. that I came here to this earth for a reason and I have my Mm. own guidance system and I will buffer up against things that challenge me and things that trigger me and I will need to organize myself and to go within myself for guidance from my higher self and the realization of that in these last few years and that everybody else has one that they are having will need to dip into to their higher self for their journey and I may be a trigger or a buffer Mm -hmm. for them gives me a great deal of Mm -hmm. independence from them to know that they will find their own way even down to my daughters so I have one daughter who uh, I met when she was 16 she's now 25 Mm -hmm. I class her as my own and I feel Mm -hmm. as maternal to her as if she is uh, like my seven-year-old who is mine and also with my seven-year-old I have more of a sense of you know she has her own triggers and her own guidance system she will figure it out and I trust in that so that's what you're talking about that level of trust in someone else and not having to be their solution right yes very much and that awareness was not a thing last year and and it wasn't that I didn't trust that they wouldn't figure it out or trust in their higher guidance last year it was that I assumed that my role and the priority, mm. the role in that was for me to solve something for them or help them. But that was actually my deeper need of me filling my, my own well, you know, my own bucket for the need that's of love like validation. A, I've, I've said it before, but that's major. I mean, to, to suddenly mm-hmm. get that is really a life changing situation. Oh my gosh. It was night and day. I, Honestly, I am not the human I was last year. And my greatest fear is that when I return to the people that have only known me in that old dynamic, that old way, Mm. how will I be received? Like that is really a fear for me because I promise you, I showed up every time in every scenario, in every possible way, I would show up and make sure that I did something to make sure I was accepted. I would act or be or shine on in any way it took Mm -hmm. in order for me to be received, accepted, loved, and okay and secure. So if I show up fully, if I show up with my full-on cacao drinking, lion roaring, breathing (laughs) self, jungle dancing self, 
how will I be received? That's a legitimate question. And it's for the most part, I know that my inner circle will still receive me and love me, but there's still a fear of judgment. And that was where the test of my two friends coming here came in. I thought, will they receive me as I am? No mask. Will they receive me? And did they? I'd say yes. I'd say yes. But I do think there was both had hesitations. Both definitely thought I went off the deep end. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, I had no idea you were an intuitive. I had no idea you did card readings. I had no idea you did this or whatever. And Uh I, because I hid that, I hid, I hid so much of my life for so long because I feared the judgment of it all. So what else did you hide? What were you hiding all that time? Because like in Bali, everybody's really free, (laughs) I find, to express every single part of them. And nothing is unusual here, I find. I agree. See, that's where the testing came in with them. I was openly and freely discussing everything like I would with anyone else here, realizing halfway through the sentence when I looked at their face that I was like, oh, yeah. I need to remember Ah. my audience. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's like, oh, yeah, I used to hide that. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot. So the things Ah. that I would hide. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that. I was like, oh, as they were looking at me and they're like, blink, blink. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually really cool. Long stare. Lots of silence and lots of blinking. That was when I thought, <laughs> right, <laughs> we aren't on the same page, but that's okay. We'll regroup in a bit. Want some more? <laughs> want some more chai? Okay. So <laughs> I was for cacao. Pick a card. Yeah. I, I did take him for cacao, and they were like, <laughs> "What is this?" And I thought, "Okay, we have a lot of editing to do." But Beth, Bethany was the one friend that I brought to the Women's Blessing, and she absolutely was still to this day speaks to the power of your your witnessing in that. I loved how you how you described it actually, because um, as an aside, I've just come across your podcast, and I I didn't know about it because uh, when we were introduced via Phoenix, we were introduced on WhatsApp, not Facebook. And then I found you on Facebook because, you know, people naturally do. It's like, oh, there she is. So I friended you on Facebook and then I found out about your podcast. And I'm listening to your podcast and there's this beautiful podcast about the woman uh, you used to be, the girl you used to be, the woman you are and the woman you are yet to become. And that's what a woman's blessing is all about. We honor that and witness those women in the cacao ceremonies and every woman gets a blessing at the end. And I'm listening to this going, oh my gosh, was that inspired by the cacao ceremony that you sat in? And then I asked you, and of course it had some relevance because you were thinking about the whole decade as we're going into 2020 and everybody's putting photos of them at 10 years up and 10 years ago and now, and you didn't feel like that was applicable to you. And and then you started saying, well, you know, really it's about the girl I used to be. And then you were like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yes. So that was really interesting to me to have that revealed. Oh, it was so powerful. It was really powerful because in that in that moment I recognized I had been overlooking all of these accomplishments and these really big things that I had 
attained or accomplished or been through or, you know, had success in. I just kind of breeze through them. I'm like, okay, next. Okay, got it. Check mm. next. And I would yeah. not really look at that holistically. And when Beth and I were talking about the power of your ceremony and the power of how she felt so witnessed and seen and honored, even though you didn't know her at all, you knew her journey in a way. And that witnessing just was so touching. It touched her at a level that she could never really compare to. I I don't know anyone that else that she has ever shared, you know, maybe in someone else's life, but she has never shared anything of that depth and feeling so touched, honored, held, supported in that moment like she had at your ceremony. It was really big. I think those, those, that blessing at the end of my ceremonies is, is quite something, but it's quite something for me also. So mm-hmm. when I first of all started a woman's blessing, it was with um, ayahuasca and we had a medicine woman and I called it a woman's blessing because at the time, and she still is little Livy, mm-hmm. uh, describes herself as a unicorn she is a unicorn well actually an alicorn but you know that's like being the queen pegasus alicorn to be precise but you know we're going off topic but a group of uh, alicorns is a blessing apparently Mm. so I called it a woman's blessing and then I thought well geez you know women should have a blessing this because I always felt going into a plant medicine ceremony was was a blessing like this is my actual personal blessing ceremony to myself Mm. And then I wanted to recognize the women for literally even just turning up and being there and doing that. And it's continued with the cacao. But when I give the blessing, I don't know many of the women in my circles because they're open circles. So anybody turns up. But some of those blessings, I sit opposite a woman and I look into her eyes and I say to the girl you used to be, I give great thanks. And I can barely get the words out. Like Mm -hmm. I'm looking at them in the eyes and I don't know their story. And I am choked and I have tears forming and they have tears forming. Mm -hmm. And I can barely get through it to the woman you are now. I give great thanks to the woman you are yet to become. I give great thanks. And it's so powerful for me. So it's there's something in that, that naked rawness of not knowing somebody's story, but being able to say, I see you. Yes, that, that right there, I see you. And there's an honoring of the unknown, but the known. And that oh, is yeah. a powerful thing. And I truly- It's like I a would, sense. It is. And you, in that witnessing, for me personally, that witnessing- gave me such courage and strength to step into who I used to want to be, but would always hide. So, you know, when you asked what are some of the things that you used to hide, the podcast, ironically, I didn't tell anyone about that for the longest time. I made it, I published it, I put it out there. I told no one. I was afraid to (laughs) tell anyone. I didn't want anyone to know. I didn't want their judgment, right? Finally, I got up the courage to speak and say, hey, isn't this funny? Ironically, I speak online, but I won't speak to you. <laughs> Here it is. Yeah. And I sent it yeah. out, right? It was, in, it was in that 
second blessing that I felt this beautiful sense of honoring and depth of understanding of journey and and a transmission of almost courage and power come through from you to me to know that even though this last year has been an entirely disruptive, um, crazed, new habits, new patterns, new behaviors, all, everything's new. The identity's new. Everything's new. Even mm-hmm. though all of that kind of chaotic behavior was happening and this chaotic new way of life was panning out, I knew that even though in that ceremony there was something bigger about my greater, grander journey that I just needed to take that courage and take that encouragement that I received in the blessing and just allow for me to be. So even Mm -hmm. if I used to hide it, something in the transmission of being seen and, you know, honored helped me come to a place personally where I, I'm not as afraid. I don't worry like I used to worry. I don't fear. It will creep up. It will definitely creep up. And, you know, when I speak to people and they're blinking back at me, looking at me like I just jumped off the deep end, I definitely (laughs) will sit in that for a minute and I'm like, oh man, did I just say too much? (laughs) (laughs) I've had moments like that too, you know, like when people have asked me about my ayahuasca journeys and yeah, I'm like, uh, do you really want me to talk about that? Because I can, but I don't know if that's a bit crazy. (laughs) Yes. And it's really, I, I think the ultimate thing is that I've come into the understanding that I now am the only one in charge of my happiness. I can no longer seek fulfillment, happiness, you know, participation or acceptance. All of that, none of that can come from outside. And this last year has been about me stepping into that understanding fully because I knew it from a a brain perspective, but I didn't know it from a heart perspective. And this last year Mm -hmm. has been exercising on a heart level, how to come into creating that for myself, even when I am afraid to speak it, say it, express it, all of it, which is why I came to Bali as well. It's a place that I don't I know what it is about Bali. <laughs> I don't know. But I arrived a completely different person, I think, to the one that may leave. And I may even not leave now. Yeah. <laughs> I may yeah. even stay. Yeah. Um, and the, the women that I've, I've seen here, because Bali is quite a transitory place. Mm-hmm. And the women I have come to know and become friends with for three, four, five, six months, and then they've left, they describe this a similar thing that they arrived one person to do their work or to do something and they've they've left complete and ready for the next part of their journey. And it, it happens really quick sometimes. You don't have to stay here five months. And the women that I've had on the retreats, they've come for five days and they're like mm-hmm. completely different people. I don't know what it is about this beautiful volcanic island it's true both of the girls that visited me both of those friends went back and made major life transitions I they know were... right oh, major yeah <laughs> their world is different 
it is can it, it is can it really be just the planets maybe it's bali too <laughs> well i it is bali because this is the intersection of all those ley lines uh and it's bringing the two dragon ley lines for all the intersections of the earth chakras together in this one place it's like mm-hmm. a washing machine with the purification for the world so this well, is truly that it does that <laughs> Jason, you have explained extremely eloquently in your podcast what you would say to the girl you used to be. But for the purpose of this this podcast, can you encapsulate what would you say now to that girl you used to be? Oh, my gosh. With deep honor and grace. I would thank her from the bottom of my heart for all of the courageous things that she pursued, all of the unknown that she dove into, all of the curiosity that she nurtured, all of the trust for her inner guidance and following that hunch. All of those things are now in a place of pure, solid foundation for me to create Mm. and magnify the vibration of the planet. Without that girl, I wouldn't be in such a strong foundation today. Totally true. And what would you say to the woman you are now? Keep going, keep going. You've done so much to get to this point and you, the, the hard stuff is kind of behind you. Keep going. That's what I'd say to her. Do you know, I feel like you're talking to me. <laughs> like, that's so powerful. I feel like that message is for me too. It's wonderful. And to the woman you are yet to become, because no one's work is ever done, and no. you are in transition, and you have to now go back and test it. So mm. to the woman you are yet to become, what would you say? Oh, she's so beautiful. I actually visualize this grandmother energy of uh, of a deep, wise knowing and just a calm to her. That woman is, is truly what I aspire to be, this beautiful, confident, playful, dancing, soft, elegant woman who commands without force. She's... She's so quiet and beautiful and elegant. And I just, I cannot wait to feel into that energy as I move into that space. Well, I'm going to tell you something because mm. that was the woman I met that night at dinner with Phoenix. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, completely. That's her. <laughs> beautiful, confident, quiet, but funny. Mm. You had funny stories to tell and but you didn't take over the table or the situation and you were so keen to listen to other people's stories and you took, you drank everybody else in and Mm -hmm. I really resonated with you. And I I loved all of those women at that table, but I'm not in touch with any of them apart from you. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that's who I saw. Thank you for that reflection. That's beautiful to hear. And I'm deeply touched. I'm I, Tears in my eyes. I'm deeply touched. Thank you. Well, that's who I see. And ah. I can't thank you enough for sharing that story here 
because I think there is something in this world right now that is something big that is shifting. People mm. are coming to their own personal awakenings. They're realizing lifelong habits, you know, including myself, lifelong habits and patterns that you just think that has got to go. That has no place in my future. And yeah. you are doing that work from your heart, from your soul instinctively, and you are right on it. And you are to be congratulated for that. Thank you. It has been quite the journey, but I trust and believe that it will all work out in a beautiful, harmonious way, as long as I continue to have faith and trust and continue to step forward. If I resist it, that's when it will get sticky. <laughs> it's the only thing we have, faith and trust. If you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power, I would really love to hear from you. Because when women stand up and tell their stories like Jason and the other guests that I've had on my podcast, they give hope and inspiration to women who are struggling right now. Because women need a whole load of strength sisters, women they know and women they don't know, to be held by, to be heard by and to be inspired by. When women celebrate their own courage and honor their stories, we give permission to other women to do the same. Dig deeper into your own self-discovery. Check out our hideaway retreats, our secret coaching calls, and our divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. But for now, from me and from Jason, Thank you so much for listening right to the very end. And we send you a whole ton of love and sisterhood. Bye for now.